Chapter Twelve of A Gringo in Manana Land by Harry L. Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: Up and Down Guatemala, Part Two. Eight. Guatemala has had its revolutions from time to time, yet its history, as compared with that of its immediate neighbors, has been fairly peaceful if it has not had a succession of good rulers it has at least had a succession of strong rulers its indians are a docile race a race much more easily conquered by the spaniards than were the indians of mexico and much more easily dominated by the white landlords of to-day and the army if not impressive when on dress parade is one of the most dependable armies in central america in recruiting its soldiers the government resorts to the selective draft the jef politico the all-powerful local official visits each coffee planter and secures a list of the pickers who have picked the least coffee during the past year these provided his soldiers can catch them are enlisted in the army once enrolled the little peons are equipped with uniform not very elaborately or neatly but sufficiently to distinguish them from civilians in the capital they are also equipped with shoes not for efficiency but for the sake of appearances unaccustomed to footwear they have to be trained to its use and nothing is more amusing than the sight of a new battalion thus shod and stumbling awkwardly over the rough streets they look uncomfortable and self-conscious and at each halt will pick up their feet and glare at the shoes much as milady's poodle glares at a pink ribbon tied around its tail yet these little indians stupid and illiterate make better soldiers than the more intelligent mestizos or mixed bloods they are more susceptible to discipline in most of these countries virtue goes with ignorance to such an extent that the mixed bloods are called ladinos in guatemala a word that originally meant tricksters the little indians are far more loyal to the president and office than are the mestizo soldiers of the neighboring republics and are less apt to desert the existing government when an insurrection threatens guatemala's several dictators also have been artists at the business of discouraging opposition of them all estrada cabrera stands out head and shoulders above other despots not only of guatemala but of all latin america until a very few years ago he reigned for term after term proclaiming himself re-elected when necessary and quietly murdering any politician who gave the slightest indication of opposing him why he clung to the presidency is a mystery he was so fearful of assassination that he scarcely ever showed himself outside the palace he slept usually in a house across the street reached by a secret passageway he ate nothing except what his own mother prepared for him he would have a dozen beds made up each night and only one or two of his most trusted guardians knew which one he occupied he seriously handicapped the country's mining interest by placing a ban on the importation of blasting powder lest it be used to blow him up on the one occasion when he attended a public ceremony a bomb killed his carriage driver and the horses barely missing the dictator himself since it was exploded by an electrical device he thereafter placed a ban on all electric contrivances and visitors to the country were relieved even of such things as pocket flashlights 
but from his isolation within the palace he manipulated all the strings of government and all guatemala felt his power he personally blue-penciled every foreign news dispatch that left the country and sometimes even the personal cablegrams he maintained an elaborate spy system with one agent watching another agent until every man in the republic was under survey he permitted no public gatherings where people might discuss politics he forbade the organization of any kind of society and once suppressed a chess club quite possibly he believed that these measures were justified it is affirmed by many that guatemala made more progress under his rule than at any period of brief presidencies certainly he did not follow the course of enriching himself sufficiently in one term to spend the rest of his life in paris a course extremely popular among central american executives and many an old-timer will say the old devil was never so bad as they pictured him but those who opposed his will used to die quite silently and suddenly and his enemies affirm that carrera used poison one hears strange stories about his political methods he is said on one occasion to have decreed the death of an american who had incurred his enmity to avoid international complications he dispatched a second american to do the dirty work the second american went to the first warned him and advised him to leave the country then he returned to inform carrera that the other man had escaped he did not know that a native spy having followed him had already reported the meeting cabrera smiled oh, that is too bad but you could not help it so have a cocktail with me and forget all about it three hours later the american did forget all about it he dropped dead one hesitates to believe all the stories for old-timers love to shock the itinerant journalist but certain it is that he kept all guatemala in terror of his authority until many of the more ignorant believed him gifted with supernatural powers in his later days as in the history of most despots he lost his grip upon the country he had made too many enemies everyone hated him yet hesitated through fear of spies to be the first to proclaim opposition but the inevitable revolution finally materialized and cabrera fled the capital he surrendered on condition that his life and property be respected it is to the credit of the guatemalans that they observed their agreement although lynch law might have been more justifiable one carlos herrera a wealthy landlord took his place but he did not relish the job as did cabrera after a few months when someone else started a revolution he made no objection it was comparatively bloodless a few policemen were the only casualties they had not been informed that a revolution was scheduled and when they saw the mobs surging up the street undertook to quell what they considered a disorderly scene one completely organized government went out overnight and another completely organized government came in shooting was by way of celebration an american who had an engagement with herrera the next day went to the palace and inquired is herrera in and received the answer herrera's out orellana's in only one man was arrested he landed in puerto barrios the north coast port with a cheerful jag and called herrera on arriving in your beautiful country i hasten to salute you and to wish you a long life and a merry one the new government arrested him for treason but released him as soon as he proved his ignorance that a revolution had transpired orellana who held office at the time of my visit was a former lieutenant of cabrera's 
he had occupied the seat beside cabrera when the bomb blew up coachman and horses there were rumors afloat that cabrera's brain still directed the government but they received little credence another story purely humorous was that on the night when oriana overthrew herrera the ex-dictator started to pile all his furniture against the door of his room but sir protested a servant these are your own friends coming back into power that's why i'm doing this said cabrera i know those fellows cabrera's house was a fortress-like structure of unassuming exterior an old man now he was still following his lifelong policy of retirement from the public gaze and a guard of soldiers was present to see that he remained in retirement the family came and went freely but the ex-dictator never showed his face if he had done so someone might have taken a shot at it he probably welcomed the guard for its protection oriana despite his former connection with cabrera was proving a more lenient president clubs were now thriving and the people might congregate where they pleased poison had been abolished as a function of government and men might discuss politics without being shot few however publicly suggested a change of president with all its comparative liberality the new regime was ruling with an iron hand characteristic of guatemalan governments shortly before my visit oriana had chased home a party of mexican bolshevik agitators attempting to spread their propaganda among the indians of his republic a few years earlier when his railway employees threatened a strike unless permitted to select their own officials and to discharge all foreigners from the service the american superintendent had told them to go to hades and oriana had sent them back to work by threatening to draft them all into the army these countries always thrive best under a stern dictator even under the tyrannical cabrera guatemala enjoyed more prosperity than it would have enjoyed under a rapidly changing series of get-rich-quick presidents for a land of illiterate peons a dictatorship if exercised with justice is always the most satisfactory form of government except to politicians out of office nine the two principal products of central america are coffee and bananas the central american remains in the cool highlands of the pacific coast and raises the coffee to the invading foreigner he seeds the lowlands of the caribbean for the culture of the bananas in guatemala it was a day's railway journey from coffee country to banana country first through a stretch of magnificent scenery of forested mountains and of rugged gorges spanned by several of the world's highest railway bridges then through a tedious expanse of desert where the woodland gave way to scraggly cactus and the mountains although still majestic and piled one atop another until they reached the clouds were swept by a fitful wind that blew gustily transferring the sand from the landscape to the eye and finally down among the swampy jungle-grown lowlands of the coastal plains into the empire of the united fruit company the stucco dwellings of moorish design gradually gave way to wooden shanties and guatemalan natives to west indian blacks years ago before sanitary engineering made the tropics livable the inhabitants of this region had retired to the cooler highlands where snakes and fever were less abundant Today, the greater part of the east coast all the way from guatemala to panama is in the hands of the united fruit company or its several minor competitors 
except in guatemala or costa rica which have rail connection from ocean to ocean banana land is closer to new orleans than to the capital of its own country it is peopled with a few american or english bosses and a host of imported negroes its prevailing language is english and it bears more resemblance to africa than to the central america of which it is part a young english superintendent met me at Cariwa, one of the united fruit company's plantations and conducted me to a cottage with screened verandas where one might have fancied himself in the americanized canal zone the camp was neatly laid out with well-trimmed grass plots and cement walks lined by rows of yellow croton and red hibiscus and shaded by cocoa palms or breadfruit trees each superintendent had his own cottage there was a large hotel for the lesser gringo employees the local hospital was the largest and best appointed in central america everywhere one observed that orderliness and modernity wherewith the anglo-saxon is constantly abolishing the local color of all foreign lands on all sides of the camp the banana groves extended as far as the eye could follow them like a rank uncut lawn of brilliant green narrow-gauge tracks wandered out in all directions through the lanes of trees and many gringo bosses all clean-cut young fellows neatly dressed in khaki who did their bit to destroy the fictional romance of the tropics by shaving each morning and donning a white collar were spinning along the rails upon motor-cars on their way to work many years ago one minor c keith while building a railway in costa rica hit upon the idea of planting bananas along the line in order to provide freight for his own road when during a financial panic he was unable to pay his laborers he performed the miracle of persuading them to work for nine months without salary he and his assistants drained swamps and practically eliminated malaria long before our canal zone doctors learned to combat the fever-carrying mosquito he formed a partnership with one andrew w preston the first man to transport bananas in any quantity to the united states and out of that combination grew the united fruit company which to-day has plantations in jamaica colombia panama costa rica honduras guatemala and british honduras and controls the banana industry of the world it owns railways throughout central america and operates its own line of ships it is said to make and unmake the governments although no one ever proves the accusation it escapes prosecution in american courts as a monopoly because its properties are mostly located in foreign countries but it has developed a large section of jungle land that once was considered worthless and uninhabitable the money it pays in taxes for its concessions is the mainstay of more than one central american nation's finances and it supplies the world with bananas on a policy of small profits on a tremendous scale guatemala is one of its smallest production sources and Carihua is one of its smallest guatemalan plantations yet i spent an entire day riding through the banana groves on a motor-car with a superintendent and saw but a small part of them the banana is the easiest thing on earth to grow explained my guide as the little car hummed over the endless tracks you just select the right land the silt of some river bottom and burn off the jungle then you plant them using the suckers or bulbs that spring up around an old tree set them out in rows 
and there's nothing more to do except keep them clear of brush in eight months you've got bananas the main problem is to pick them just green enough so they'll ripen by the time they reach the states a little bit greener for england and get them there when the home fruits are not in season from time to time we passed a row of labourers shacks some of the jamaicans had brought their own kinky-haired women with them others had found guatemalan girls a host of pickaninnies were tumbling about each cottage now and then one heard the rattle of dice and a snatch of music from a mouth-organ most of the men are working to-day said the superintendent we pay them by the job and not by the week it brings more satisfactory results in a warm climate they like it too because they can work when they please but this is a boat day and we've taught them to work on boat days negroes with machetes were cutting down the bananas a banana tree is only a soft spongy thing like the stem of a huge lily a blow of the machete would half sever the trunk and the tree would bend bringing the bunch of fruit within reach the negroes would hack away the leaves and remove the banana stalk carefully when you cut down the tree a lot of new ones grow up around it most people don't know that they tell about a new superintendent here that got all excited because the men were chopping down the grove and we always kid new men by sending them for a ladder on their first boat day one bruised banana will rot and contaminate an entire shipload wherefore they were handled with great care they were piled along the track on a prepared bed of leaves when the pickup train passed other negroes shouldered each bunch gently they might toss it aboard but other negroes caught it by each stem without touching the fruit and laid it upon another bed of leaves we shipped out three and a half million bunches last year and when we say bunch we mean the whole bunch and not just a hand with a dozen bananas on it explained the superintendent no that popular song that everybody sang at home was never heard down here we'd have killed anybody that dared to sing it you should have been here one day last week just to see how sore everybody was when the cook had the nerve to offer us sliced bananas for breakfast nobody would eat them ten every visitor to guatemala makes the trip to Coahuila not to see the plantation but to observe the famous maya ruins hidden in the neighboring jungles like most famous sites which every one travels far to see they prove extremely disappointing their only beauty is that one has to ride horseback through a swamp to reach them and that they are so completely surrounded with tropical forest which forms an ideal setting the ruins themselves although interesting are not impressive there are some four straight columns about thirty feet high covered with intricate carving somewhat obscured by mildew and moss each visiting archaeologist scrapes off the fungus in order to obtain a clearer view of the carving and with it scrapes off part of the carving near the columns are a few other queer rocks fantastically cut to represent a frog or a turtle or some other creature whose significance no one has been able to explain these are the work of the mayas who peopled yucatan and southern mexico while the aztecs occupied the mexican tableland while the earlier people of the north built pyramids these people built temples and monuments of lesser stature but with more elaborate ornamentation they possessed a system of hieroglyphics which have never been deciphered 
supposedly the ruins of Curigua were erected to commemorate events in local history but they are small as ruins go and lack imposing grandeur few ruins in the world can equal the marvellously carved maya ruins of yucatan but these of Curigua fail to astound the observer near them however has recently been unearthed a fortress upon a hilltop a very rude fortress of small stones and scientists believe that marvellous discoveries may yet be made by excavation possibly of a great maya city buried long ago by the rotting jungles guatemala has only very recently taken an interest in her past in the capital i had met a dr t t waterman now the official archaeologist of the guatemalan government who had just brought to light on the pacific coast some ancient carvings more impressive to me than those of caragua i wouldn't say i discovered them he explained as he showed me photographs of statuary wherein faces and figures were not the fantastic work usually performed by primitive artists but extremely real and lifelike altogether quite the best sculpture that i had seen in these countries in fact i didn't discover them dr waterman continued ex-president harara did they were on his coffee finca at pantaleon they happened to be on good farming land so he dumped them all on his rubbish heap that's where i found them when the bosses at Huigua heard this story they looked at their own monuments which tourists came miles to see and shook their heads sadly those damn things are on our best banana land too eleven on the train that carried me back from curava through swamp and desert and mountain from banana land to coffee country i met an old-timer he had been so long in the tropics that the mosquitoes refused to bite him like many another he had the rank of general earned in some long-past revolution these countries are changing he said regretfully i can remember the time when there was nothing down here but thatched huts all the white men in those days were tropical tramps drifting from one place to another but they've mostly disappeared this fruit company won't give you a job these days unless you come down on contract with a white collar round your neck and a testimonial from your clergyman the tramps gone south and now the soldier of fortune is passing you no sooner get a revolution started than the united states sends down a gunboat to protect american property things are getting so civilized around here i sometimes think of going home and joining the ku klux klan for a little excitement End of chapter twelve part two